Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Rister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday, July 31st, the last day of July edition of the Road Report. I am finally back home in Oxford for the first time in quite a while. Um, and we have fall camp getting going on Friday. Um, if you're just feeling depressed in general and sick of nothing being on television, I believe this is the last Rebel Report podcast you'll hear without some type of football game on within a five-day period until February. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Because you got the Hall of Fame game tomorrow night, um, yep. Thursday night. I actually don't even – I don't know who's playing in that. I'll, uh, I'll look it up because I don't either. Um, then you've got pretty much preseason action staggered throughout that, and then really – in three weeks from now, I guess you have week zero. I mean, it's right there. Yeah, August 24th is week zero. Yeah, so literally three weeks from now, give or take a couple of days. I guess we're like in the three-and-a-half-week yeah. range. But, like, it's the cycle slowly starts churning. Like like we said, SB week was the worst week of the sports calendar, and then you realize there's always one week at least after SB week that's almost as bad or even sometimes even worse. And then this is really kind of the final, finally the week where it kind of all starts churning again. And you kind of start going down the tracks and headed towards football season. And then it doesn't really stop after that. So, um, I guess vacation was well-timed. Um, but yeah, so week zero, you have what, two games? Yeah. Uh, my, or Florida at Miami and Arizona at Hawaii. Okay. So, I mean that's better than nothing. Like I'm, uh, yeah, absolutely. You'll be lying to yourself if you're not watching both of those. Yeah, uh, the Hall of Fame game is Denver at Atlanta. Well, not at Atlanta. It's just Denver versus Atlanta. Denver is a three point favorite, and the over under is thirty four and a half. Okay, so there you have it. Not expecting a lot of points there. That's a any over under under forty in the NFL is pretty low scoring. Uh, obviously, preseason the lines are skewed, but uh, 34, 34 is. Not expecting much. I I would imagine neither starting quarterback is playing. I imagine Matt Ryan is not playing, and then I I know Joe Flacco is not playing. I believe that we talked about that on the radio show, but yesterday. But point being, football is back. Um, yeah. So that's always nice. Always more entertaining. Uh, I'm big into fantasy football. I'm the commissioner of one of our leagues that we've had for a long time. So I was looking at draft dates the other day. It got me excited. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just really looking forward to. Obviously, college football Saturday is a little bit different for me than it was when I was a kid. But, like, honestly, my favorite day of the week now is, like, after a Saturday where you've worked, where you literally do absolutely nothing on Sunday and watch seven hours of commercial-free football, as the gentlemen at Red Zone like to put it. Um, <laughs> you get you get the package? Yeah, no, I get that. That's a must-have. Red Zone and Sunday ticket for me is non-negotiable. I would probably pay upwards of $700 to $800 for it. No kidding. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, I guess I'd have to cross that bridge if it came to it, if it ever got that high. But you get my point. That's non-negotiable. I have to have red zone. I have to have Sunday ticket. Sunday's kind of like my day where I don't have to do anything. I'll get some work done in the morning from post-game football. And then the rest of the day, I probably won't put pants on. Like, I'm not leaving the house. I'm getting delivery. It's uh, it's Sunday is pretty much my day to do nothing. So There you go. And I'm looking forward to it. It is a damn fine time. Um. 
packed show, I guess. We've got, I mean, we'll be pretty football heavy with fall camp coming up. There was a baseball fight last night that sort of. No, that was a brawl. Yeah, that that was was a brawl. And that sort of hit close to home for me, um, given some of the guys involved in it. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on that. A couple of baseball trades. Um, but really just kind of gearing up for Ole Miss to start fall camp. And they start Friday morning, um, I believe, because, yeah, media day is Thursday. We went through some different um, – some different. Uh, what am I trying to say? We went through some different storylines on Monday's podcast about fall camp. And so I don't want to necessarily be redundant, but I guess I'll start here – if you're looking at – there's so much unknown with this team. What do you want – and it's a – this isn't the best question to ask because it's kind of an oxymoron in its own right because you don't see a ton in fall camp. But what do you want to see or hear out of fall camp from Ole Miss? Um, I, I think what you've got to look at is, is who's going to step up on this offensive line. We know now that Alex Gibbon probably isn't going to do much if anything. Actually, you, that's a that's – a, sorry, I, I screwed that up. That's a good point. <laughs> Let's start there, and then we'll go that. So, as you said, it was announced on – I guess it was right after we recorded the podcast on Monday. I think yeah. it I think it actually got texted out as we were recording. I just didn't see it on my phone. Alex Givens had surgery on July 18th. To, uh, he had a lower back procedure to repair some sort of injury – um, on his lower back that had kind of been giving him trouble throughout the summer. Um, and it says, after receiving the medical staff's evaluation of his progress, Givens will be limited throughout preseason camp and is hopeful to return in time for the opener. Um, it sounds like, at least from, I've kind of asked around a little bit, it sounds like they are optimistic he will be back for the season opener against Memphis. Um, and if that means him hardly participating at all at fall camp, uh, then so be it, and I think that's probably going to be the case. Um, so Alex Gibbons will not be out there for most of fall camp. That's significant. Is it, though? Like, I mean, he's a senior. I know the offense is different, but if there's one guy that can miss fall camp and just show up and play at Memphis, it's him, right? Yes, but I was gonna. I was. I was kind of looking at it from the vantage point. It's significant, not necessarily for him, but for the guys around him. Because he's sure. the kind of loaned, experienced guy in a in a group that's not necessarily experienced, and we've been through this, it feels like fifteen times in the last two weeks on this show. To where, yes, the first team offensive line has guys that have played football, you know, SEC football, SEC snaps in varying degrees of 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 experience, but they're guys that have been, for the most part, guys that have been in the program for a while. It's kind of their turn to take the next step. But Gibbons is really the only battle tested guy, and then like, heavily battle tested. Other than what Ben Brown probably, I mean, other guys have gotten in and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but he and Ben Brown have the most experience. Um, but it's it really hurts because the, you have these seven newcomers coming in on the offensive line that did not participate in spring football. I, you know, as I said on Monday, I was talking to Givens at SEC Media Day, and he was talking about kind of how his role has been different this year and how he's kind of taken it upon himself to kind of guide some of these younger guys through the different things they see in college football that they may they may not see in high school, whether it's blocking schemes, whether it's just kind of how to approach different things, different blitzes and things like that. I just think him not having, like I say it's significant in the sense that him not being out there and, you know, he may be able to do some of that from the sidelines. I'm going to actually ask Matt Luke that tomorrow because I think that's it. I would be interested to get his vantage point on how significant that is and and 
how much he Givens can do from the sidelines and how much he like cannot do that, I guess, being out there. So I think it's significant from that point, not necessarily for him, but for the younger guys. And at the same time, like you mentioned, it is a new offense. And like obviously he probably doesn't know it like the back of his hand, like he probably had with Phil Longo's by the time he got into the second year too. So it's significant in that sense. But I think just the lack of experience being out there hurts them. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you want guys that, that have experience. I guess it's, it's play devil's advocate. I guess somebody else is going to be getting those reps. Um, but, no, you, you'd certainly rather have that out there and in the huddle and, and 100% healthy than going through whatever, you know, the back issue that he's going through right now. Um, and, you know, back issues are tough. So it's probably going to be something that lingers throughout the season for him, and he's probably going to have to play through it, too. Well, yeah, I guess that's another front of it is Givens has had concussion issues in the past. You know, he's had he's had his fair share of injuries, and as, as most offensive linemen has by the time they get to the, that point in their career. Um, so that's, I guess, a, a, another front to where it's significant because it's another injury, another issue with Givens, a guy that's had his fair share, you know, throughout his career. Um, it sounds like he will be okay. You know, it sounds like he will end up being healthy for the first game, or at least they're hopeful that that's that's kind of the the goal they're aiming for. But again, it is just kind of another injury for a guy who's had quite a few throughout his career. Yeah, and and that's unfortunate for him. I mean, going into his senior season, I think he's got a chance to get drafted too after this year, maybe a late you know fourth, six round pick. So it's unfortunate, you know, that he starts out this year. Uh, with the back injury, but like you said, it's, it's important for uh, Ole Miss to, to have him out there from an experience standpoint. Frankly, he's their best offensive lineman, without a doubt. So, I mean, it, it, it's going to be interesting going in fall camp when you uh, when you're down the you know probably the leader of the offensive line, maybe the leader of the offense, frankly, um, outside of Corral. Back injuries are often kind of slippery too. Like you don't really know, particularly in like football, like. I mean, I, I'm just pointing out that there's always a chance that he goes out there and it's not the same and he kind of, whether it flares up again or it's a, a, a disc issue or something like that. Like, a back issue is a very, very slippery slope for a football player. Really, oh, any absolutely. athlete in general. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, back injuries aren't just something that, you know, magically heal. I mean, it takes time. And so, it's... uh it's going to be interesting to follow as we approach August 31st and to see if he's on the field or not. And I guess also looking at it from this angle, like if Alex Gibbons had been there every single day, like say if Alex Gibbons participates fully every single day in fall camp and is out there fully healthy, the offensive line as a whole is probably more ready to play than they are if he's not out there. I mean, it's just that simple. Like, Yeah, no, that, that, that's certainly fair. And in a time, and we've talked about this a hundred times, but like in a – Ole Miss doesn't have any margin for error out of the gate. It's pretty much zero. And so any kind of minor setback or anything like that, I feel like becomes more, like, I guess becomes the scrutiny on it becomes heightened and it becomes more significant because, like you said, they've got four games in the first month that they pretty much have to win three of them. Right. So, I mean, I, I, didn't, know, I didn't see this coming. Um, I guess if there's any offensive lineman, starting offensive lineman that can have this, it's because he doesn't need Paul Camp, really, I guess you would pick pick Gibbons. But man, it's 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 a blow. I don't I don't think people are, are putting enough into the fact that that he might possibly miss a game. Um, because I do think that's possible. I think they expect him back. But I mean, like like you said, I mean, back injuries are tough. We do, you just don't know how they're going to respond over a month and a half. Yeah, and that is I mean, it yeah, exactly. And it's just I don't. 
the offensive line was already like just felt already. I mean, it is kind of a shaky spot for the offense. It is the biggest weakness, perceived weakness, I guess, or, or spot of vulnerability on the offense. And then you lose the most experienced guy you have for most of camp. You know, who knows? Maybe he's back out there for for Memphis and he's fully healthy and it's pretty much seamless. But you know. He misses the Memphis game and misses one after that. Like it, it becomes fairly significant because like you can't have him retweak it and miss the whole month of September or something like that. That would be that would be. I don't know if catastrophic's too strong of a word, but that would be I very like bad. Right word. Um, you lose him, and man, you're up creek. Um. So with that, I guess out of the way. We'll continue to monitor that. I'm sure we'll get updates on Givens throughout fall camp. It'll be interesting to see kind of what he's doing on the side uh, kind of once he gets back towards his recovery um, for the limited amount of practice we get to see. Um, so we'll continue to monitor that. It will be interesting to see if there's any sort of trickle-down effect, like if there's any sort of shuffling or they just merely pull Hamilton all up to the first th- first team right tackle for the time being. Or maybe they'll move something around. Maybe Matthews goes to right tackle. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. We'll find out in the next coming days. Um, but as the question, as I started this podcast before, I just uh, omitted the injury news. Um, what do you need to see? Or what do you want to see or hear from Ole Miss fall camp? Like whatever it's a like it's such a gay like such a broad question, and I I ask it hesitantly because you don't see a ton in fall camp. But like, what is like if you're an Ole Miss fan and you're like kind of trying to gauge the pulse of this team? What do you need to see or want to see throughout fall camp or want to hear? I'll tell you what I'm interested in from, from an Ole Miss perspective is the secondary. Uh, there's there's a lot of I don't want to say question marks, but you don't really know exactly who's going to play where uh, each and every snap. You know, I mean, you lose Wood, you lose Webster. Um, you know, those two guys that play a lot of football for you. So it's uh, it, I, that's going to be what's interesting to me. I mean, Jalen Jones is coming back from the ACL. You have to see how he he responds. Um, Miles Hartfield played a lot of football. So I mean, you you got guys that have, that have played a lot of football. But I'm interested to see how McIntyre incorporates them in, into the offense over the. Uh, the first part of spring or uh, fall camp because I mean they're, they're going to have to be ready to go when when they take the field at the Liberty Bowl here in a month. Yeah, and ACLs aren't the same as they used to be. The recovery time has gotten remarkably sure. shorter and remarkably quicker. But to your point, like like so, Ken Webster had that really bad injury in what I guess it was sixteen, sixteen, yeah, and came back pretty strong in 17 and played really good football and honestly it wasn't talked about in that 17 year because there was just wasn't talked about enough at least of how well he played at coming off that injury because you know you had the Hugh Freeze thing and there's there's some other stuff going on with that team and the program at the time but not everyone's like that and a cornerback's a position obviously where you've got to run and cut and I mean it's the same thing as a receiver like ACLs are or you just kind of hold your breath. It's kind of like, in, in some ways, not maybe not as significant, sort of like an Achilles thing for a basketball player. You just kind of wonder if they come back the same. And, I, you know, he'll be fine and he'll be healthy, but, it, you know, he, you can't guarantee that he's kind of the same version of himself because he was kind of set to take a really big jump last year before that happened. Um, and then on the other side of things is interesting is you have Miles Hartsfield, who's a senior that's played a good bit of football, but after him it's too tr- – it's two freshmen. It's the red shirt and Ja'Cory Hawkins and Jalen Jordan, at least right now in the depth chart. Like, not a whole lot of experience behind them, and really not a... I mean, there's more experience on the other side behind Jones with Kedron Smith, who's played a decent bit of football, and then you have a, a, Ju, a Juco guy in um, Jamar Richardson, but like, you know, behind your first couple of guys, there's not a ton of depth at corner, and then... I mean, you kind of know what you have at this point in Jalen Julius. 
um, at free safety. And then strong safety, you've got John Haynes starting right now with Vernon Dasher lifted, listed behind him and C.J. Miller. Those are both guys that have played snaps for Ole Miss. So, um, you know, you feel okay at safety. Um, I, I would feel like you have more depth at safety because Armani Linton's played some football. you got Cam White behind him, both those guys behind Julius. But really on the edges at corner – it, particularly on one side, there's not a ton of depth in terms of, I guess, guys that have played. Yeah, no, that's certainly fair. Um, so that's why I'm interested in Because, I mean, Mac's supposed to be a, a secondary guru. I mean, all the, the talk about him and how, how well good of a coach he is with the secondary. And um, obviously, it's true. I mean, he, he's produced a lot of elite level secondaries in San, San Jose and Colorado. But I'm interested to see what he does with this group. Because, I mean, like you said, there's not a ton of depth. There's, there's guys that you, they've played a lot of football. Um, and and those guys are going to have to be counted on this year. So I'm interested to see how that group develops as, uh, as spring camp, or as I can call it spring, as uh, fall camp moves on. It's not fall camp though. Fall camp's the biggest crock of shit ever. Like it's it's 110 <laughs> degrees outside. It is not. There's I nothing. Wish it was fall. Why not just call it preseason camp or like summer sauna? I don't know. Something more appropriate than fall camp because it does not feel like fall. Oh, <laughs> uh, God knows they don't practice inside. No, if they rarely practice inside, unless it's like raining or like, you know, if it's really wet or raining and they're going to mess up the grass practice field, even though part of it's turf out there, they'll go inside. But no, they're they're going outside for most of it, and man, it is hot. We, uh, they don't do, do to, or to, have two a days fully been abolished? I should know that. That's a really bad question for me. No, I think they I think still you still do like a week or so of them. Yeah, I think they're still a thing. There is no more uh, three-a-days water makes you weak, though. No, 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 no. They have abolished two-a-days in uh, public school football. I do know that. But uh, college, I don't think so. So, oh, so wait, they abolished it in high school? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 they abolished it so long enough ago that I never did one. Three or I two? Played, huh? Three? Two. Two. We never did. Now, private schools are different, but public schools are not allowed to do them. Public schools can't do two-a-days? Not supposed to. How strictly is that enforced? Uh, I don't know, but I can tell you that it did not happen at Upor High School because it was against the rules. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I uh, are two days really that bad? I feel like you can get pretty psychotic in terms of like man three days where you practice after pretty much every meal you eat. But like, are two days really that that? I mean, as long as you keep the kids uh, hydrated okay. and stuff, it depends on what you do. Like, if you're going to go through a morning work walking through and then have practice that afternoon, no. But if you're going to go, like, a full-blown practice at 9 a.m. And, and go to, like, 12 p.m. and then come back at 6, man, you're not going to have much left at 6. So it depends on how you do it. Like, you can't just go full bore twice. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, I don't know, wussification of America or something like that. Um, uh-huh. World gets soft. Yeah. We, uh, want to drink water. we had actually – we had Governor Phil Bryant stop by our radio show yesterday – um, for one segment just to talk football and stuff. And I think Borky, he spoke like a guy from experience in terms of uh, in terms of uh, two-a-days because uh, Borky said something about two-a-days and then like I don't, that not a lot of places do it anymore in terms of high school. And he kind of like shuddered a little bit. He was like, good, they need to. Like it's spoken like a guy that had some scars from two-a-days football. <laughs> oh, man. But, I'm going to keep my mouth quiet. Um. But yeah, I don't know. Talk about uh, talk some football. I didn't know he was a Southern Miss guy. Yeah, yeah, he went to Southern. Um, and then he was he was kind of playing the advocate, like he was kind of advocating for Ole Miss and Southern to play again because State and Southern are playing. Oh dear God. Um, 
as a guy who wants to see the state of Mississippi do well, I guess I can, I see where he's coming from. It's just for an Ole Miss football program Why? standpoint, there's an, not a whole lot to gain. Like, you at least get the basketball game with Memphis. I, I mean, uh, I mean, Ole Miss played Southern Miss last year or the year before last. Ole Miss could have gotten beat, and that's a problem. You, you don't play an in-state team that can beat you if you don't have to. No, no, I agree. That's why I'm saying there's no upside for Ole Miss. But, like, from a guy from that vantage point, I, I get why he wants that. I think it's probably good for the state to have Southern play Ole Miss or State pretty much every year, but I'm not blaming Ole Miss at all for doing it. I get why Ole Miss doesn't do yeah. it. There's no if upside I, at all. Why is State doing it? Uh, good question. I mean, they went down to Hattiesburg. Yeah, uh, they did. In, the, in a game that started, I could, I'm pretty sure I'm not making this up. I'm pretty sure that game kicked off at 9 p.m. Yeah, and Southern had a lead at the end of at like halftime. Yeah, they were. Yeah, and State kind of pulled away in the second half. That was Mullen's second to last year, maybe. Um, I thought it was. I think it was fifteen, twenty fifteen. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was I sixteen. Uh, or sixteen or seventeen. Okay, I thought uh, it, I thought it was later than that. No, because I remember watching. Well, actually, I think it was fifteen, but I could be wrong. I can look. The only reason I say that is because I remember watching it in the Grove, and I wouldn't have watched it in the Grove if I wasn't uh, I wasn't a student. Yeah, you're if right. It was 2015. I don't know why I was thinking it was later. It started at 9 p.m. 34-16 Southern Miss. Oof. Yeah, I don't know. If you're a state fan, like going into that game at 9 o'clock at night and then your team gets down for the first half, that would just – Oh, God. I mean, if I'm on this, like, I don't play on the baseball, but, you know, I'm anti-playing Southern Miss. Going back to college days where, like, I still, like, went to games and road trips and stuff, like, I'd be wondering what the hell I'd gotten myself into. Um, I don't think I'd have made that one to Hattiesburg. No, I, I, that's not exactly a bucket list. Hattiesburg's fine. I don't mean to crap yeah, no, on Southern like Miss Hattiesburg, but yeah. I don't, I've been to the Rock. I don't need to go back. Um. So, I, I guess getting back kind of on subject for for – in terms of like what I would be interested to see and hear from, and I'm not sure you'll be able to tell from how much they from you know throughout the just cloud of coach speak and cliches that these kids are trained to throw out there. But how big of a grasp does Corral have on this offense, and how much are they able to open it up immediately? And that may not just pertain to Corral. How much is you know how much is the offense grasped collectively as a whole that they can use for the first game? Because I imagine, even with an entire spring and off season of installation, it's probably not exactly where Richrod wants it to be in terms of everything he can do by the first game. But they need to be close because again, there is no, you know, whatever you whatever Ole Miss did in fifteen leading up to the Bama game where it was like UT Martin Fresno and then you go, like there is no time for that. Like you're gonna have to produce, you're gonna have to play good football and win games complete, like immediately out of the gate. So how close are they, and how comfortable is he with the offense? And that's something I'm not sure you're gonna be able to tell because we don't see it a whole lot in this in right. in practice and stuff. But I feel like if you I feel like if you read between the lines enough in terms of what they're saying, you might can get an idea. That'll be interesting to me. Um, the whole Matt Corral leadership thing is a little, I don't want to say overplayed because it's still like he's still new and still young, but I think it's very clear at this point, look, this is his team, this is his offense until he proves otherwise. Like, I, I don't really have the whole leadership 
anything like itch to learn more about anymore because I think he handled himself well at media days. I think it's kind of very clear that he's he's comfortable in this position, and that might be partially because he feels like he's been in it a while. Um, really, other than that, how they line up Ely, um, and again, not something how much you'll see, how much I will see, or we will get to see throughout the snippets of practice we get. But like, where is he lining up? Is there more two back sets? Because last year under Phil Longa, there was. I don't remember them lining up in a two-back set the entire year. I'm sure I could yeah, be I wrong about that. that, but I don't think that happened. My point being, that doesn't happen very often. Or How like, got, how uh, often are he and Phillips on the field together? Right. Yeah, they got, like, Longo would get real cute down at the goal line and get the, and the power off. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Um, but right, but, like, for a shotgun offense, there was no dual backs yeah. around Tiamu last year. How can you have uh, how can you have six receivers out there if you have two running backs? That's a fair point. Maybe that was in the other forty percent of the offense he wasn't allowed to use. Who's to say? Um, the other four plays. Yeah. So, um, I'm trying to think what else. Like I, I kind of had the list of stuff at least jotted down, kind of going into what I like am kind of thinking going into the year. Some interesting things to watch, but I think we've all covered it. I covered the outs, the edge spots on Monday. Um, I think they're going to be okay on the defensive line. Can they get an exterior pass rush more consistently? Because that's something they really, really struggled with last year, among other things. Um, you know, I, I, I hate, I feel like I sound facetious every time I say this, but are they like, it'll be interesting. And you won't see this in fall camp. This is more projecting towards the first game. Like when you get to the Liberty Bowl on August 31st, are they tackling well? Like, are they lined up in the right spot? And I, I swear I'm not like, being a smartass when I say that, but like, there were so many times over the last two years, really three years too, if you want to lump sixteen in there, where the most classic Ole Miss defense thing, where a guy leaks out of the backfield, like late, or there's some kind of misdirection handoff, and there's no one within literally like a TV panorama view of him, and he's running twenty twenty five yards before he's touched. How much of that has been eliminated? <laughs> you you mean that they're actually filling gaps? I know. I know I'm being serious. Because it, it it was it was almost baffling at times, right? Was, the last couple of years, wild. where it's guys, how like how are you that far away from? Them? Like, are they how like? And I guess that's you know you use the you hear the buzzwords odds in the right place fits that you know people <laughs> have justifiably made fun of for being overused over the last couple of years. But like how like how much better are they at their assignments and knowing where to be? I really am fascinated by that. How how much better of a grasp do they have? You know, are they in the right spot more often? Because. You know, they could still not be a very good defense, but still be one that is improved in the sense that they aren't giving up 600, 500, 580 yards a game or whatever it is because they're just simply in the right spot. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, and I think that's going to, that, that's what Mac's going to help is, is they're going to be disciplined. No, they may not always make the play, they may not always get there, but I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to have problems getting lined up, which, is, which was a definite issue last year. And then, this is, I've really extended this beyond fall camp, um, I guess for a number of different reasons at this point, just because I'm running out of stuff to kind of fit, to rest my mind around. But I was thinking about this there night. What is, like, what's the reaction when they lose the game? Like, whether it be Memphis or whether it be Arkansas, how do they go from there and not let that turn into two September losses? Because we talked about it a hundred times. Like, if you let, like, if you lose the Memphis game and then you kind of get a little bit hungover or a little, just kind of let it linger into the next week at Arkansas and you start 0 and 2, or say you beat Memphis or you lose Arkansas, I guess you kind of have the C-Law game in between. But you get what I mean. Yep. If you let one loss parlay into two, 
Like, that could really be detrimental. I mean, that would be really, really, really bad for them. What happens after the first loss? How does the fan base respond? What's the attendance like if they lose the first game at Memphis, Arkansas the next week? Like, I, I don't, all of that I stuff is interesting to me. I don't think the attendance will be good for Arkansas if they lose to Memphis. Will it be good if they win? Yes, it will be great if they win. It will be bad if they lose. I think I think Memphis is, is I mean, I, what's the word? I can't, I can't think of the word. I think it is just massive for, for this fan base. Um, hell yeah, go ahead and squat fully on the take. Just say it's a must win on August 31st. I'm not going to say it's okay, hell, I'll say it. It's a must win. Um because I would kind of I would kind of tend to agree. I was being somewhat silly trying to bait you into that take, but like seriously, <laughs> if you don't win that game, like yes, you could win you could win the next 3 and still be okay, but like man, that's you you're really putting yourself between a rock and a hard place if you lose it. I mean, it, I, what it must win is such a stupid cliche, but like, yeah, in but some ways, it is. Like, I mean, if you lose, you're going to have thirty-two thousand people in the stands against Arkansas, and God forbid you lose that because then you're zero and two, and you got problems. That game's not at eleven, right? Yeah, the Memphis game. No, 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 no. Uh, Arkansas. Yeah, I think it's. Six. Yeah, six, and then Sealaws at like three or something like that. So yeah. when that helps attendance wise automatically. Oh God. oh God, I just had a nightmare scenario. They start zero and two, and there are eight people at the Sealaw game. If they start zero and two, that Sealaw game has potential to be like twenty eleven La Tech. Yeah, oh seven Northwestern State, where there's where you can count the people in the stands because it's gonna be hot. Yeah, because. Out yeah, because Law Tech in eleven was the week after Houston not got fired after right. they had that meltdown at Kentucky. Law Tech, I believe, won that game by three touchdowns. And they did. I were there were there twenty one people in the stands. Who's to say? I don't know. I, I was I was one, and uh, my friend was the other. So two of twenty one were there. That was back in the days, I believe, of like where not every game was on television, and it, it was, was like not. a pay per view type of thing. So I actually never saw a snap of that game. If I lucky <laughs> you. Um. I don't remember what I was doing. I was like 15, so I don't know why I would remember that. Um, that was my freshman year. Jesus Christ. I'm trying to think anything else of fall camp that I'm just kind of missing that's kind of a big storyline. Um, like, you're presuming the linebackers are going to be better. Um, you feel okay about the defensive line. We've talked about the edge spots. Secondary kind of is what it is. Offensive line? Receivers, I, the receivers are interesting to me because you figure Elijah Moore is going to be the volume catch guy, but who's their red zone target? Is it Gregory? Like Sanders doesn't necessarily have the body for it, but like I, you know, that's not a, a complete killer in terms of being a guy in the red zone, particularly in college football. I kind of think that's a little overrated too. Like you have a guy like DK Metcalf, sure, throw it up to. Him. It's a luxury, not a necessity. Yeah, I don't think you actually have to have one of those guys. No, but can one of those like who is gonna like who could be one? Gregory, big bodied kid. Yeah, Gregory Mingo. Uh, that's about it for me. I think Gregory and Mingo. Yeah. What's the JUCO kid? I mean, yeah. I mean, Battle's six four, two hundred pounds. Hey, he's bigger than I realized. He is a lot bigger than I realized. I noticed that when he was walking by during one of those games last year. Um, I guess the last thing we'll wrap up. What is a how much are they going to like? How much is Richard going to utilize a tight end? And is Octavius Cooley finally arrived? As you've heard for feels like three years now. Because <laughs> I mean, there's not much there now. I mean, it's Cooley and then Pellerin. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know how much I need to look. I don't know how much Richard utilizes a tight end, but I feel like there's enough receivers here. Um, 
that, that if you don't have to have, if you don't really have one that you can trust, you'd probably be okay. But I know he likes to run the football, and you're going to kind of want a guy like uh, uh, Cooley or I don't I don't really think Pellerin's a great blocker, but uh, you you probably need a guy like Cooley to be able to be formidable out, outside on the edge and to be able to block those linebackers. Yeah, and over the last year, it feels like they've, you know, all the coaches have said all the right things about, or have been high on Cooley, and it sounds like Cooley have kind of said and done a lot of the right things. Um, and it's interesting because Rich Rod does use a tight end, but he doesn't always use it in a traditional sense. Like the tight end is oftentimes off behind the offensive line, kind of off the football in like a, like a wing back almost type position. Sure. Yeah. Um, and sometimes he'll use. He's in the past. He's been known to use two of them on each side. I'm not sure he's going to have that luxury, or if he does, who he uses on the other side. But I think it's important. But how they how they are used is interesting to me, and I'm not well, sure. I can, at this point, I can really give you a great answer. You can use Michael Howard as, as kind of a tight end too. That's been done before, and I, I feel like that if they need to, they'll do that this year. You're going to take him off the offensive line? Well, he's a tight end, man. You, it ain't like you can't go play tackle. I mean, tackles play tight end all the time. Yeah, I mean, you're I mean, that's probably kind of plays hand in hand. If he does that, that probably partially means one of these newcoming kids is kind of a couple of them have come along because sure. he's your second team left tackle as it stands right now, technically. I wonder if he is now the first team with Givens out if he moves up. You with Matthews going over to right tackle? Uh, I mean, you could tackle seem interchangeable to me, but whatever, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to watch how the tight ends use. I'll be interested to kind of learn more about that as, as fall camp goes on because, you know, Cooley played a decent bit last year, kind of had his moment in the Arkansas game, but not a ton of, like, like, if, if, like do you think Rich Rod looks at film from last year and looks at Dawson Knox and be like, man. Like, Wish I had him. Yeah, exactly. Like, if that kid, I get why he left, I guess, but I get, like, if that kid had had another year, I could have actually turned him into a player. Um, second round pick instead of not throwing in the football ever. Yeah, that's just maybe that was in the other forty percent of the offense. Who's who knows? Um, so that's really about all the thoughts I have. Well, I'm sure I'll have a lot more for Friday's podcast um, after we kind of get through media day and all of that. Um, there was a f- baseball fight last night. Again, brawl. Call it a brawl. But like, I feel like people say. Brawl anytime the bench is clear. Like this was an actual real yeah, baseball this was fight. An actual like knockdown throwdown. So for those of you who have not seen this, get the, get the internet first of all. Yeah, one the Reds and the Pirates have major beef. Oh yeah, uh, they're about to play again right now. I'm kind of gonna watch. Yeah, so it started in April. Um, Derek Dietrich, where well, they were playing in Pittsburgh. Mid-April, Derek Dietrich took Chris Archer to whatever river is behind the Pirate Stadium and admired the hell out of it. Stood there, kind of gave it like the classic 80s, I'm going to sit back on my back heel, watch it, drop the bat, and kind of walking. Like, it reminded me of Jack Parkman in Major League 2 type of deal. And they didn't like that. And I kind of have some interesting... I have some interesting thoughts on this from both sides because, uh, fortunately, last year... I covered the Pirates for four days, so I have a very limited glimpse into what kind of how sort of they do things. And obviously, I saw a decent bit of the Reds last year. So basically, they've had an ongoing back and forth since. So after that happened, Puig tried to fight the whole team. They've kind of had some beef since. Um, basically, I'll put it this way to start. Clint, this is very on-brand Clint Hurdle. He's like one of the last, 
I don't want to say fake tough guys, but he's one of the last old-fashioned, like, baseball, crusty cowboy things. Like, I remember... I remember earlier this year there was a guy named Rustin Dodd who used to cover the Royals, Kansas City Royals for the Athletic. Uh, now he's moved on to be one of their just kind of national feature writers. Fantastic writer, but wrote a story on Ned Yost, and there, who's the Royals manager, right? And how he's kind of one of the, he called him one of the last cowboys in baseball. And Yost is very gruff, very like. I, I, abrasive sometimes, very like harsh with the media, but but Yost does it in a good nature way, where he kind of ribs the media, but he's friendly with him afterward, kind of treats everyone that way in his good nature. I would say Clint Hurdle does that without the good nature part of it. He just kind of seems like an ass. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think Clint Hurdle is the guy that's scared to throw at somebody. No, this is very on-brand hurdle, and it's kind of like, is it trickled down throughout their entire organization? Because yeah. the Pirates announcers have had a couple of moments this year where you just, it's kind of a facepalm moment. They had that thing earlier in the year where they're like, I think it was Acuna, Acuna. or Albies yeah. did something, and the, basically the color guy was like, yeah, and he's got all the jewelry going on, and never really completed a coherent thought, but just wanted to point out that the guy's flashy, and it's kind of like, what the hell are you saying, man? Um, yeah, well, Acuna's gotten thrown at and, and they got pissed off, and yeah. Yeah, and he's because you're doing all that, and you got the jewelry, and it wasn't really a coherent thought, and it's kind of like, you want to finish that sentence, buddy? Because that could potentially be problematic if you, the way you were going. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then you had one just a couple weeks ago. The announcers got very butthurt that the Cardinals stole a base with a 7-1 to lead in like the fourth inning. And it's like, I haven't seen that. Oh, you haven't? So this was last week. This is perfectly ironic because so the Cardinals were up on the Pirates seven to one in like the fourth inning in a game last week, and they were the, the Cardinals were still stealing bases. And it, the, the what, fourth they, inning, yeah, exactly. And it, it, the best part about it was it came on the heels like four days le- earlier. The the uh, Cardinals were playing the Reds and were down seven to nothing in the seventh inning and scored ten runs to win the game ten seven in the seventh. <laughs> So, like, they had just erased a seven-run deficit, and these announcers are whining about how they're uh, about how they're still stealing bases in a six-run lead in the fourth inning, and they were very upset about that. So you kind of have this with the Pirates. Like, they're just—what do you want to call it? Old-fashioned? I think that's kind of a cop-out because I think yeah. it's really just candy-ass baseball. Yeah, um, pansies. Yeah. And so— I actually don't know. what I was not watching. I've watched a decent bit of Reds baseball this year. I was not watching the game last night when this happened. I don't know what I was. Do I have this right? Did they throw at Dietrich again? Somebody got their head thrown at. I believe I it was Dietrich was thrown at again. I did too, but I looked at the box score and I didn't see his name. But it may not have hit him. Okay, but he would have had an at bat if he was up there at the plate. He would have been in the box score unless he got tossed. <laughs> So he went up there to pinch it, got thrown at, and then got thought. I'm not saying that's the case. I just I, I, I thought I'd heard that. So, um, so anyway, so that happens, and then the top half of the next inning, um, <laughs> I, there's so much going on with this. I don't even really know where to start. So, Amir Garrett, who is I really enjoyed this guy. So he is a reliever for the Reds, big, long, athletic guy. He was a D1 basketball player at St. John's, and I feel like if you're a major college basketball player that played in New York, you kind of already have a little bit of a FU edge yeah. to you. Like, hey, I'm not taking any of your shit, right? <laughs> I mean, it's north. It's Some northeast. White dude over there just flapping his gum. Yeah, and granted, I believe Garrett was originally born in California. I'm not sure where he grew up, 
but my point being, like, if you're a D1 college basketball player, you know, on the East Coast, like, you got to have some kind of edge to you where I'm not taking your shit. Like, is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, played at St. John's. He is – there's a mound visit, and David Bell, the Reds manager, had already been ejected from the game. Do you know why? I do not. Okay. I'm trying to pull up and read about this, but the Wi-Fi is not cooperating. I, I got home when this happened last night pretty late. Um subtle about being out. Uh, what? That's a subtle about being out on the square. No, 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 no. Driving back from Jackson. Oh, okay. You're in Jackson. Yeah, I've been on the road a bunch. Um, I had to go down for the uh, for the day. Anyway, so Amir Garrett is that they're I don't know if they're about to make a pitching change or it was just a mound visit, but as the Reds pitching coach, and his name is escaping me right now, uh, is talking to him, Garrett starts chirping at the Pirates' dugout, and after about I would say 15 seconds, he decides, I'm going to fight all y'all. And runs... Literally. Yeah, literally. Amir Garrett runs off the mound, straight at the Pirates' dugouts, and just starts swinging. (laughs) And then it just turns into a full-on brawl after this. Just a full-on throwing fisticuffs, guys shoving each other. Like, no one of those benches clears where everybody just keeps talking, and it's like... um, and it just keeps, like, you know, the, the, the my dad could beat up your dad thing where people are just talking. Like, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a knockdown. It was dragon. a fight. Like, punches yeah. were being thrown. Like, yeah. like they were, they were in there trying to hurt one another. Twigs in there. He's not, he doesn't even play for the Reds anymore, and he's out there swinging. Yeah, so that's a whole other dynamic to this. So you have this thing, and you, like, you had this, of course, in the age of viral internet stuff, when they fought earlier in April, you had that photo of Puig being held back by Dietrich and Joey Votto, I believe, where he's trying to fight the Pirates' entire team by home plate. Do you know what photo I'm talking about? I've got about? a little bit of an opinion of Puig that he doesn't actually want to fight. He just wants to get held back, so it looks like he wants to fight. That's fine. But so you had that, and then Puig had gotten traded to the Cleveland Indians, which we'll get yeah. to in a second, in a three-team trade that netted Trevor Bauer to the Reds minutes prior. So Yasiel Puig is in the middle of this brawl and no longer plays for the Reds. Yeah, I bet the GM was like, yo, yo, get him out. Um, so <laughs> one of the, the guy that covers the the Reds for the Athletic, uh, C. Tritt Rosecreds, great guy. does traded and ejected in five minutes. See, he, uh, he does a wonderful job. Great dude. Fantastic writer. But he he was cracking me up. I was trying to catch up to all this on Twitter. And obviously, David Bell, the manager, had been ejected at that point. And C. Trent t- basically tweeted out something to the effect of, I'm trying to find the actual tweet, but it was basically just like, uh, uh, hold on, I'm trying to find it. Because I want to get this right. It was basically something to the effect of, uh, uh, so whoever's running the team right now should probably tell Yasiel Puig he no longer plays for the Reds. <laughs> yeah, that would be accurate. That would be accurate. Um, yeah, so that so that happened. So you have this brawl. They're having trouble breaking it up. Uh, Puig is really just instigating it. The announcer, Jim Day, who was filling in for uh, Tom Brenneman at the time, another great uh, announcer, had some hell – had some great lines in it where it's just like someone needs to get Puig off the field and just and then when, when Garrett went up and first started swinging at it he just goes and here we go and then he throws the first punch and he goes oh <laughs> oh it was like a royal rumble it was a real fight though and you don't often see that in baseball very often anymore like bench is still clear guys kind of get their get their piece in but like you don't uh you don't see like actual you know knockdown drag out fights as much anymore. I don't know. I thought it was awesome. 
No, absolutely. Uh, baseball needs more of that. Need more fight. Yeah, it was. So, that, like, my main takeaway from that fight is the 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 Pirates seem to be making enemies with not just, like, the like the Pirates seem to be kind of like that punk kid that everyone's like, what's your problem? Because I feel like they've had this with a couple of teams. They had it they had it with the Cubs. I think they've had a little bit maybe with the Cardinals. Because, you know, Joe Madden did that spin move on the umpire. That was right. against the Pirates. Right, to go after Hurdle. Yeah, exactly. So, like, this is obviously, like, if if you're going to place blame here, where are you throwing it? The Pirates. Yeah, exactly. So, so, I, yeah, I don't know. What did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was, I mean, look, the Pirates are, have kind of brought this on themselves. So, I mean, it is what it is from that aspect. I mean, you, you got guys throwing at people's heads, and, and you're probably going to get, you know, a fight's probably going to happen. Whether it was intentional or not, it's a bad look when you consider what all the Pirates have done this year. Yeah, and, like, you've never, you rarely see a manager, like, uh, the Reds manager, David Bell, who had already been ejected from the game, came back out from the clubhouse and then was wrestled to the ground by the Pirates hitting coach trying to be held back from going after uh, Clint Hurdle. Like, there's real, real animosity there. Um you know, and Amir Garrett, uh, he did you see Amir Garrett did kind of like the uh, the arms up flex? Like I'm, I don't know what he said as he was being held off the field, but he kind of gave it the double like guns up. Oh yeah, yeah, like he flex. Um, yeah, he doesn't. Uh, he he's not taking your shit. The second day I worked there, he tried to fight Javi Baez. <laughs> I say tried to fight, but that was more of like a respect type Wait, thing. What did Baez do? So I I could have this wrong, and I can't I can't remember, but Garrett. Garrett uh, Garrett struck out Baez, I'm pretty sure, to end the inning. And, like, they started just kind of chirping at each other. Like, I think Garrett had a real demonstrable reaction to strike him out. Baez didn't like it. They started chirping. And then the benches kind of cleared. Nothing really happened. But it was one of those things that after the game where Garrett was like, look, I love Javi Baez. I like the flash that he plays with the game. But if he's going to dish it out, he needs to be able to take it. Kind of one of those things. Right, right. So it wasn't that big of a deal. But, like, it was still, like, that's Javi Baez. And Amir Garrett is not scared of you. Oh, goodness. Amir Garrett doesn't seem scared of anybody. No. I mean, big dude, if you're a D1 basketball player and now you're a major league pitcher, I'm probably not taking shit from anybody, right? Exactly. No. Um. So, maybe quit being such a crusty old man, Clint Hurdle? I don't know. Yeah. This is all back to Clint Hurdle. Um, yeah. So, they these teams have had some interesting uh, – This these, these teams have had some interesting uh, – Interesting chapters, I guess, this year. Uh, they had a little bit of it last year. I remember I was wearing a game one night, and this has nothing. I don't think this is related to anything. But um, Max Morov broke up a double play and slid into Alex Blandino, and uh, Blandino tore up his knee. I'm not sure Blandino's played for the Reds since that night. That wasn't necessarily intentional. But these, my point being, over the just like I don't think that was related to this at all because you know Morov doesn't even play for the. Uh, Pirates anymore, but that ju- they just these two teams seem to always just have these weird beefs, and I'm not really sure why, particularly over the last two years. Yeah, no, it's uh, the Pirates have started kind of a rivalry with literally everybody in that division. Yeah, so I'm reading this MLB.com story uh, from it, and so uh, let's see. So uh, it looks like in the, in the ninth, Jared Hughes, who's a former Pirate, hit starring Marte 
near his butt with the fastball said it slipped but Hughes was ejected uh very really Jared Hughes is one of the nicest people in baseball it was the first time he'd ever been ejected from a game in his career literally one of the nicest people you'll ever find so I don't really know what to make of that but then Garrett apparently came in and immediately as soon as he grabbed the ball looked at Josh Bell and said F you <laughs> that's uh he, he does not take anyone's crap uh, no, he does not. So that was awesome. I enjoy baseball fights. Um, what else? Do what else? Oh, so, so I guess the last thing we'll wrap up with is Yasiel Puig. As he was doing this, no longer plays for the Reds. He was <laughs> traded to the Cleveland Indians. Um, so, so that's a three-team trade that nets Taylor Trammell and Framel Reyes, I believe, to the. Uh, so the, the Padres get Taylor Trammell, the Reds get Trevor Bauer, and the Indians got a hall of picks. Or not a hall yeah, of picks, a hall of prospects. Yeah, the Indians now own the Padres and Reds. Um, yeah, so I don't understand this one. Uh, I mean, the Reds add another arm. They're, Bauer's team controlled through 2020. Um, this would probably tell you in the next couple hours as we were listening to this, the Reds are going to try to deal either Tanner Roark or Alex Wood to make room for him. Sure. I think the Reds are trying to win a win a wild card spot. Like I don't think they're giving up on this year. I don't think you make that move if you've given up on this year, right? No, no, no. I 100 percent agree with that. I think that's a move that you make where it helps you for next year as well. Because Puig was going to be a free agent at the end of the year, and the sure. odds of him re-signing or them re-signing or the Reds re-signing him probably not great. So I think this is actually a move where they're. It helps you a little bit for this year, but it also sets up for next year. So you're not selling, but it's also not a, you know, both feet in the boat, we're going at it type of thing. Is Bauer under control next year? Yes, he's got through 2020. Okay, okay. Um, So that was an interesting trade to me. There was a lot going on in that fight last night. So wrapping up, do you have any other trade deadline thoughts? Um, The Braves and Dodgers are going to have to do something with the bullpen. The Braves got a guy from Texas yesterday. Surely the Dodgers are going to give up what they have to to get Felipe Rivero from the Pirates. Um, because if they get Felipe Rivero in that bullpen, I really don't know who can beat the Dodgers in a seven-game series. Um, I would agree with that. Dodgers, bet crop, cream of the crop in the National League. Can one of these teams from the Central kind of get it together? And I'm looking nah. at Brewers-Cubs mainly. Not necessarily sure if I buy the Cardinals good enough. I, I lean no. Brewers wouldn't shock me. Um, it's the Brewers if it's any of them. Don't think the Braves are there yet unless – and the Dodgers' frontline pitching is, I think, is too good to do this. But the Braves would just have to mash in a seven-game series to yeah, beat them. I mean, just absolutely lose their mind. They um, would, but how do you mash Ryu, Kershaw, Bueller? That's yeah, exactly my point. And uh, so, really, so the one of the interesting th- the thoughts I had on this is you have these teams trying to add and trying to make kind of a closing run, whether it's at the division, at the wild card, whatever. But the two f- biggest pitchers, particularly starting pitchers, to be moved. The Mets and Reds got them. Yeah, yeah. And two teams that Why? if you had the bet today are not going to make the playoffs. Probably not even going to be close. And their best shot is the wild card. So. The Reds are six back in the loss column from the wild card. Um, so, I mean, you're still in it at that point, right? But it's going to take a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of teams in front of you, too. Yeah, and the Reds have – I mean, they played 500 ball for every week of the season except for the first week and a half where they lost eight in a row. Yeah. So uh, – 500 ball is not going to get you in. And maybe Bauer helps that. Uh, but, I mean, Lucian Puig is going to hurt, too. It will. So that'll be interesting to kind of monitor. The National League races in particular are going to get fascinating. The AL wild card is going to be fascinating. Most of the AL yeah. division races, except for the Central. Austin's got a real chance to miss. 
Uh, yeah, they do. And one of the there's going to be some really really good team that misses in the AL because you have you have Cleveland, Oakland, Tampa, and Boston all separated by two games. Or for, well, Cleveland's up a couple games in the wild card, but with the second wild card, you got those three teams separated. Two games, a couple really good teams are going to miss. I'm interested to see what happens at the deadline. These races are going to be fascinating. Um, that's really about all I got. You got anything else? No, that's about it. That's about it. Um, Media days are Friday. What'd you say? Media days are Friday. No, so we got media day tomorrow, and then they start okay. practice on Friday. So we'll have some of that, but also Friday is mailbag Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So, the People's Holiday is back. Um, send us your questions. Send them. Text me if you have my number. Not giving it to you if you don't. Uh, email. We should, uh, we should do a fundraiser, and uh, if, if if we meet like a quota, you have to give your number out on air. Oh, okay. If I if we get two hundred mailbag questions in a show, I'll <laughs> consider giving my number out on air. Um, so get to work. Um, so email me. Um, whatever. Um, we'll be back at it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what to submit, but we do have football going on, so it would be helpful to us that if you're going to send a question that's not football-related, maybe add one that's football-related. Is that a fair deal? That seems like sure. a fair give or take. Fair trade? Okay. Yeah. You yeah, don't have fair. to. There are no rules on this show. You can do whatever the hell you want short of a federal crime. But like, you can do that. not our problem. Yeah, that's not our problem, but we're not going to cover it up for you. Um. But I will request if you do send a non like, and it could be anything because we I know we have some state people listen to the show. If you want to do state football related questions, we'll try to tackle it. I don't really follow state as much or as closely, but Mississippi football related, whatever you want it to be. Obviously, you can send whatever you want because we answer bizarre questions every week. But to get those in by Friday. Um, we'll either record Thursday night or Friday morning. I don't really know. Um, like and subscribe to the podcast. Um, I've talked about all summer. This is kind of the launching point, like where we get to football and you know this next week is kind of when it gets going like you've got camp football is back got some different things planned i'm pretty pumped like and subscribe to the podcast um we appreciate you listening our numbers didn't hardly dip off at all this summer which i was surprised i figured once baseball ended we'd hit a pretty bad lull but where listenership has been very consistent and we'd like to thank you for that that's pretty awesome and then we're going to take this bitch to the moon for during football that's season. right so, <laughs> that will report to the moon. Get that on a T-shirt. Uh, so that's about all I've got for today. You got anything else? That's about it. Okay, so for Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Ribby. We'll be back at it on Friday for the People's Holiday. Have a good one. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.